Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet. Where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine. To become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. On today's episode of Sanseet, we have Maureen St. Germain. She is an extraordinary woman. She has learned and experienced every possible spiritual thing you would think of, from uh, sacred geometry to numerology. She's a bestseller author and meditation, and the list keeps going on and on. Hello, Maureen. How are you doing today? I am doing very well, and I'm very happy to speak with you and your lovely audience. Ah, excellent. Tell us about where this all started for you. Um, When I was uh, in my 20s, I wanted to write a book, but I didn't know what I would write about, and I didn't know that I had enough skill to write. So I thought, well, I'm pretty good at public speaking. I'll just start teaching. And I knew a little bit about manifestation, and I was a really good math student. And so as I began to study meditation, I learned a particular meditation called the Merkaba. Um, That's like M-E-R-K-A-B-A, Merkaba or Merkaba, either one. And that meditation is based on sacred geometry, the use of the golden mean or the golden ratio. Many people refer to it that way. And it caused a transformational effect on me and everyone I taught. And the more I got into it, the deeper I got into it, the more I became aware that I was working with what I would call source code for life. And so I wanted to teach manifestation. That was my heart's desire. So I had written by this time a book, um, and it was pretty good, but it wasn't terrific. And um, I got a three-book deal with a major publisher, and that was through this manifestation technique. And so um, that's where it all began. And then when the... um, I'll tell the rest of that story about the book deal a little bit later, but um, the important thing to know is that I manifested, my goal was two book deal or better, and so when I landed this three book deal, it was terrific, and um, I was so very excited, and there were a lot of things that happened along the way that really helped me see. For example, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to manifest an extra $100, and it was a lot of money for us at the time. And um, I managed an apartment building, so I figured I would pick up an extra paint job because that's what they paid me to paint an apartment that was vacant and someone was going to be moving in. And like clockwork, the money I needed came in, but it did not come from the paint jobs. It came from another source. And that's what I began to realize. You don't have to know where your resource is coming from. That you can actually manifest something knowing you'll have it on time and knowing you'll have it for what you need. So one of the things I teach people is to bring it into 3D. And the way you do that is you imagine a conversation. So let's say I want a new car or a newer car, you know, a a better car than what I have. Um, Initially, I might say, well, I can't have a car because I can't afford payments. But what if the car were paid for? What if I had a car that was paid for? Then then I could have a different car. Okay, so that's handled. And again, you don't worry about the how. You just like, you know, use your mind first. And then you imagine a scenario where I already have the car and I'm having a conversation with someone. Well, that's like going to the grocery store. You go to the grocery store, you drive up, you park, you see a friend, you call out to them. And they come over to you and they say, I didn't recognize you. That's not your car. And you can say, yes, it is my car. And you have a sweet conversation. And imagining that you're having this conversation with someone brings it back into 3D. Because lots of people know how to imagine what they want. They can imagine having it. But it is the purposeful conversation where you have with someone that proves 
you already have your heart's desire that makes it happen very easily. Did you do this um, in the 20s for your own experience? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did it a lot. Um, my uh, my next, tra- tra- uh, what do you call it? Um, my next test was um, manifesting winning a contest. And I remember thinking to myself, well, Maureen, if you think you're so hot, uh, why don't you manifest winning this contest? So this contest was winning a um, free trip to the Acapulco Princess. And the Princess Hotel chain, it is a lovely hotel chain. There you know, top notch. And I worked for a company that I was eligible to enter the contest. And there were maybe 100 or somewhere between 100 and 300 people that were eligible to enter. So it was a pretty decent odds. And um, they wanted you to name the function room. They were building a new function room for this hotel, and they wanted a name for it. And um, they held the contest, and I said I did meditation to come up with a name, came up with a great name, and uh, when they announced the winner, it wasn't me. And I remember thinking, what? How can that be? You know, and I was, like, shocked. I wasn't mad. I was shocked, which is hilarious when you think about it. It's kind of arrogant, but in the t- at the time, I was so sure that it worked that I, um, I was surprised. And then, because I used to be in the hotel business, I thought about it. And I thought, well, they just wanted that particular meeting planner to go to their hotel so she would bring her group, and they would get all that business. And they had their eye on this person for a while, so they let her win because the name was rather ordinary, like the, the um, I don't know, Majesty Room or the Lincoln Room or something. It's just weird, you know, very ordinary name. And because I wasn't mad... Because I wasn't hurt, hear these energies, because I wasn't disappointed, I was just surprised, I let it go. I just completely let it go. Well, you know, that happens sometimes that you have to fudge the results on a a corporate event to get the outcome you want. So I thought nothing of it, and I let it go. A year later, I get invited to go to Mexico on a familiarization trip. And that's where people who are meeting planners get invited to go see a property or a couple of properties to experience what they have to offer. And it's generally offered at no charge. So I had to pay the taxes, which was like $100. And my time availability worked. So I was free that weekend. And I went. And um, I didn't pay much attention to the details because I had a lot going on in my life and figured, well, they got the handle. And we're on the bus away, going to the hotel. And I say to the guy next to me, by the way, what hotel are we staying at? And he said, oh, we're staying at the Acapulco, at the um, Princess Hotel in Mexico. And um, I thought, I said to him, wow, well, that's a great chain. We're going to have a great time. When we got to the hotel, um, I went to my room, and on the room bed, on the bed, was a brochure for the hotel and their function space and everything they had to offer. And what do you suppose they had named their brand new function space, which was identical to the one they had built in Bermuda? And the answer was the name I submitted. Yeah. Now, friends of mine said, well, why didn't you complain? And I said, how could I complain? I had a free trip. (laughs) Before this happened, um, were you kind of having the string of experiences or were these two experiences uh, introducing to what you were later going to do? Um, I've always felt that we could manifest. And this is kind of like a a childhood awareness, not a a surprise to me. So it was simply a matter of me to discover what worked. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the Wright brothers know we can make a machine to fly. They're, They're sure of it. They just have to discover what it takes to do it. And, um, You know, that's the thing about the genie system. You know, because I love sacred geometry and I have this great interest in it, and I see it as source code because it's, you know, this this golden mean is found in the relationship between the bones of the body. It's found in the DNA. It's found in the relationship between Mars, Mercury, and and, uh, Venus and the sun. Excuse me, Mercury, Venus, and the sun. And it's found in the Great Pyramid. It's found in the Parthenon. Everywhere you look, the golden mean is 
found. And the golden mean is a ratio or a relationship. So it's a, if you look at it as a device or a physical thing, you might look at a square. And a square has four right angles. And the golden mean is a rectangle, which is a long square. So it's a stretched out square. But it's a very precise proportion. And what is known um, by research is that the human eye will prefer the golden mean in its relationship over every other version of the square. So you take the square all the way to a double square. And somewhere in between there is the golden mean. It's um, 1.618. So it's, you know, about two-thirds of the way across if you're looking at two squares. And even through testing, you and I would choose that shape over any other version of a square or rectangle. And that's cool because, again, it means that we're naturally going in that direction. As you look at the way plants grow, they follow that same relationship of, of their arc in from one flower to the next or how they unfold you know lots of cactus or roses or anything you know people who grow roses will understand this because when you grow roses you have a um, stem that produces one leaf then you have a stem that produces two leaves then you have a stem that produces three then five then the rose and if you want more roses on your rose bush you always leave a five leaf stem stem on the bush and you'll get tons and tons of buds so knowing all these things because of my interest in the sacred geometry it was like a fait accompli or an obvious thing that i would figure out the use of this golden mean and what i figured out was that although many people know that you can produce this golden mean this relationship by by using what's called the Fibonacci ratio, which is what I just explained a minute ago with the roses, one, two, three, five, eight. And then that relationship goes up 13, 21, 34, 55, 89, like that. It's always taking a pair of numbers, you know, like one, and then adding one to it. But the original pair was one and nothing. So you added one and nothing, and that's one again. And then one and one are two, and two and one are three, and three and two are five, like that. So each time, the last digit looks to the number before it to produce the next number. So I contemplated this, and I began to realize that that's life. Wherever you are, that's whatever number you want to assign yourself. Let's say I'm 100. I can look to yesterday, and maybe I was a 75. But that means tomorrow I'm going to be a 175. And what I discovered is that if you could contemplate that and hold that in your awareness... You start with the 175, and you start with the 75, and you produce the 100 that's in the middle, because that's what we're doing. We're doing the same math, only we're taking the outside pair and producing the one that's in the middle. And how does this fit into manifesting? I'll give you an example. Uh, a class that I held in um, Atlanta, a woman was a clerk in a law office. And she had the lowest of the lowest jobs. She didn't like it. She didn't want to do it. But she, what she really wanted to do was have a horse rescue farm. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, my goodness, that's a stretch. How's she going to pull that off? But I didn't say that. So even I had some surprises in my own awareness. And um, we did the imagination where she saw herself with the horse rescue farm. And she was having a conversation with someone about it. And... A year later, she writes me an email, and she said, Hey, Maureen, that manifesting thing works, and I, and I got hitched. And that's kind of cute because it's a funny way for people to say they got married. And then she says, I married a man who has a farm, and he's developing horse feed, organic horse feed, for... Uh, public consumption, you know, for the for the uh, public to buy for their horses, and I'm helping him with his business. I'm running his his website and his computer stuff and things like that. And she's inches away from her goal because they already have horses, they already have a farm, and they already have feed. How close is she to having her horse rescue farm? And the point is. 
Why this, why this is important is because everybody can look at math and say, okay, I understand. Two plus two is four. You can't change that. Two plus two is four. So if you see the math behind how the universe creates, and you're using source code that is found everywhere, you begin, your mind gets out of the way of saying, but I can't have it. And the only experience I will say that I know for certain it won't manifest is is you can't bring someone back from the dead yet that I know of. So I'm not suggesting you it's 100%, but I'm saying it's pretty darn close. And I have manifested many, many, many things. And there's a whole lot more to the idea, and I have lots of tools for people, but that's the basic premise. And what do you mean by source code? Well, if, you, if I say the word source code, what does that bring to mind? What do you think those two words mean? Source would be the original, and code implies like a um, shorthand, or it could be Morse code, or it could be a computer code. But it's a, a complex set of data that's distilled into code, a, a formula that produces something. So when I say source code, I'm referring to phi or the golden mean or the golden ratio as being source code for creation. And if you start to look into uh, the sacred geometry where you can see this golden mean in the Nautilus shell, in the relationship of the bones, the body, the DNA, and so on, what happens is you get out of your own way. If you say to me, you know, I really would like to have a cup of coffee, but I only drink Starbucks and there's no Starbucks here. And I say, well, wait a minute. You know, I was, I was just in your downtown yesterday and I saw Starbucks. I bet there's one that's opened up and you didn't know about it. That's you producing an outcome. So it's, um, it's the ability to um, have an outcome that you didn't think was possible because you're not A, solving it with your mind and you're B, don't know when. So you're creating an environment that says it's real and I've just got to show up for it. And it's that ability to know that you're not just making it up. You're using a mathematical formula. Mathematical formulas tend to give people confidence. So you're getting out of your own way. Wow. And I want to talk a little more about your, your story. So after winning that uh, prize to the hotel, where did your um, curiosity go after that? Well, I was working in, in the corporate world, and I had... a. Um, four sons, and I had a big debt because my um, former husband left and decided he couldn't pay the bills, so he left them for me to pay. And um, I knew that my um, son could go to college, and he had gotten scholarships, he'd gotten lots of support, but it wasn't enough, and I needed $10,000 a year for four years to make up the difference because even though it was a great school and they gave him a big package, it was a very expensive school and, you know, so I, I didn't have that $10,000 even. I was living really from check to check. So I um, initially used this technique for paying the first semester's payment, but it started out with the school sending me a letter saying, um, you know, the tuition is $5,000 for each semester, so you can just pay us $1,000 a month, and that'll cover everything. And I, um, I didn't know what to do, so I did nothing. I ignored the letter. And then they sent me, um, because I didn't have $1,000. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, if I give them $1,000, I won't be able to pay for the house payment. So I, you know, tossed the letter. Then um, I got another letter. A month later, they said, well, we see you didn't make the month-to-month payment, so we just want you to know that you have to pay $5,000 before the next semester. 
And so I thought, oh my goodness, well, I have to do that. So I manifested it by using these same principles and seeing the bill paid. And it was a lot of work. And I was absolutely a mess by the end of that first semester. And I remember thinking, this is not working. I've got to do better. What is it that I really want? And what I really wanted was my son to graduate. So instead of trying to manifest $5,000 seven more times, which I thought would be like really hard, I went for the big number of $40,000, which was what I needed, or really 35. Now, you have to understand that if you've never had a lot of money, imagining that you have all this money is nearly impossible because you don't even know what it feels like. You can't even comprehend what it would be like. And that's part of the part of the experience of manifestation is you recognize that you don't know how to imagine it. So I thought to myself, well, I need a visual. I need to have something that will prove it's already real. And um, I thought about it for a while and I realized, well, if he graduated, that would prove that I had paid for it because they won't let you go through graduation unless the bill is paid. So I um, thought, well, I'll just imagine him graduating. But I was so terrified, uh, Aaron, that I would fail that I couldn't imagine graduation. I, it just was not possible. I could, I could close my eyes and pretend to see the car in the neighbor's driveway across the street. But I could not close my eyes and see him in his cap and gown because I was that scared. So I want everyone to know that, you know, I've been there. I know what it's like to be absolutely terrified. And then what I did was I took a picture from his high school graduation and I put it on my desk at work. And every time I got scared, which was sometimes 30 or 40 times a day, I would look at that picture and I would have that imaginary conversation that I told you about at the beginning of the call. And the imaginary conversation went like this. There were some scary moments, but it wasn't that hard. Because I was so terrified that I knew if I didn't agree with the universe that I was terrified, that I would put up all this resistance. And that's part of the manifestation technique, is that you're learning to accept what is, and then you're also allowing yourself to have another version of the reality that is completely different from that. So you don't just deny, oh, I'm ill, you accept I'm ill, and then you hold another version of the reality. So the first phrase, there were some scary moments, was validating my current present, and it wasn't that hard, was validating the version of the reality that I wanted to have. And when I first started saying it, I was pretty scared. And, and little by little, I became less and less scared. And I always had the money for his tuition. One semester... I didn't have enough and I couldn't pay off the previous semesters. And I said to my son, I don't know what to do. I, I don't have the money for the second semester. And he said, well, don't worry, mom. I'll go back to school and I'll start attending classes and I'll sign up as soon as you pay the bill. Just let me know. I went, okay. You know, he's already in school. They already got him covered. And so that's what he did. Well, it was six weeks before I could pay the bill. And he went to register and the school registrar said, well, the classes have been in session for six weeks. We can't let you register now. And he said, well, I've been attending. And these days they said, no, you can't do that. So then he had to go to each professor and ask to register and get a waiver. And a lot of the professors said, well, we can't do that because it's so late. And he said, but I've been attending all along. My mom just didn't have the money to pay for last semester until now. And so I've been here. I've been showing up. I've been doing the work. And he said to me later, I never want to do that again. You've got to have the money before the semester ends so that I have it and can register for class. So, you know, you can have some close calls where you don't know how it's going to come together. But it still will because you give yourself permission to have both the current version and the one you want. There's no resistance because what you resist persists. We all know that. You put your hand in the air and let someone push, you know, put their hand against it and you're going to resist. You're not going to let them go back because you don't know what to do, and so you resist. You, at the beginning of the call, you mentioned about your books. Where did that feature in, in your story? Um, well, along the way, I was keeping very good journals, and so, and that's something all your listeners can do. You know, keep a journal. 
and write down your experiences every day. Write down what's happened, what's you know what was interesting, some big aha, some surprise awareness, and then you write that all down. And what happens is then when you're ready to write your book, you've got your journals, you've got your notes, and so it was just a matter of putting the time in.、Um, and I made a commitment to、uh, write down everything that was significant. So when I began to write,、um, that's how I pulled it together. And I had an editor that、um, was very helpful. And so when I when I landed this this three book deal, I was you know beside myself with absolute glee. And the company that had hired、uh, that had signed me, and it was a signed contract. I delivered the manuscripts to them. And they kept telling me that the check was in the mail. Check was in the mail. And finally, after six months, they said, "You know, we're not going to do the books." And they had had a big investor that was coming in. They had signed me based on the big investor, and those guys changed their mind, and my book fell off the table. So it is possible to manifest something, and then. Not produce the outcome you wanted. I did get a signed contract for a three book deal, but it didn't go anywhere. So one of the things I learned the hard way was don't stop where you think you want to be. Go to that place to prove you have an outcome. Now, having a three book deal, you would think that that would be enough, but in my case, it wasn't. So then, the manifestation I did was that I would reach millions of people with my book, and that they would benefit from it. And how would I know they would benefit? Is because they would write me or they would phone me up, and they would say, "This is what happened. It has to be the material you gave us for the genie in the bottle." And so my book is filled with stories of people who gave me their feedback. And because the book was rejected, I decided that it was the universe telling me it's not good enough yet. So I went through 27 more rewrites on that book, full-on rewrites. And the thing is, when you're when you think you're a good author, but maybe you're not spectacular like me, you need to have that round after round after round of edits. And and the editor I had, the last editor I had. Um, we went through the book three different times over the course of like three years, and he questioned everything, and he didn't let me get away with anything. You know how some authors will just say stuff, but they don't back it up,、mm-hmm. and he wouldn't let me do that. And so that was the big gift because by doing that, you have a book that is compact and solid and full of information that will just knock your socks off. Did you you got a chance to look at it? I hope I did. It's amazing. Why did you call it、um, "Genie in the Bottle"? Well, that's another part of the manifestation. I wanted to see a book that would be a bestseller, and so in meditation, I kept asking what to call it, and "Genie in the Bottle" kept coming up. And、um, because I didn't publish when it first was、uh, scheduled to go out,、um, but I did all these rewrites. Then I was. Having a conversation with a man who owns a software company that is like a, a reader for books, and he said, "Why don't you just call it 'Be a Genie' and keep it really short and to the point, very strong punctuation?" And so that's what I did. And、um, so I, I have to back up a minute. Oh, sorry. I actually into meditation, and I saw myself having a conversation with an interviewer like you, and. I heard myself say, "Well, when I wrote Genie in the Bottle," and you know, it's funny because I kept saying in my mind, "I've got this great body of knowledge, but I don't know what to call it." I'm writing a book, but I don't know what to call.、It. People say, "Well, if you're writing a book, what's it? What's it called?" Then I wouldn't say, "What's it about?" Then I would say first, "What's it called?" And I didn't know, and I kept, you know, like running that through my brain. And so when I did this meditation, I didn't have an intention that I would get the information. I just had、uh, a meditation about how I was going to move forward with the book, and what came through was not only how I was going to move forward, but I had the name. And by the way,、uh, 
um, Jack Cantrell says he did the same thing when he uh, wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. They went in meditation and they kept asking, what's the name that's going to give us the outcome we want? What was the meditation that you did to create this name? Um, it was a guided meditation and a friend walked me through it. And it basically was in an environment where the book was done and now I was being interviewed. And in the interview, I heard myself say, well, when I wrote you, you need about blah, blah. So it was like you asking me the same question. It's kind of cute. So can you imagine, let's say, what is there something that you want to do that you haven't done yet? We'll play and I'll show you what I need. Um, I have a successful podcast. So your podcast is doing pretty well, but it's not like off the charts, knocking everybody out of the water. So if that's true, how is your life different? If you have a really successful podcast, what do the numbers look like? What would it take to, to, to say that about yourself? Um, a would be really happy, and B would be like millions of number, or be a, mi a number of million of downloads. Okay. Th that's so vague. Of course you would be happy. That's excellent. But how would your life be different? What would change if you had two million followers listening to your podcast? How would your life change? Be exciting, uh, interesting. Um, I think that's it. You wouldn't. You wouldn't have more money. Um. Yeah, I would. What else would you have? Um. I would have more people interviewing, more guests. Uh, interesting. Content. So you'd have more fame. Yeah. You'd have the ability to reach people you want. You'd be able to ask um, bigger names. You'd have, you'd have respect. Mm -hmm. You'd have a level of respect where you would, you would know who you are because other people know who you are. It would be a feeling that you're, you are recognized as somebody who is able to bring the information forward for people. And that feeling of satisfaction, as you say, you'd be happier, but I want you to go into the feeling of satisfaction. And that feeling of knowing that not only are you doing your heart's desire, but you're helping other people learn and grow from these people who are knowledgeable and that you are able to bring information out into the world that would not have necessarily been out there. So you're doing a public service. Now, who are you going to talk to about the fact that you now have 2 million followers? Myself, internally? Nope, doesn't count. That's not a 3D conversation. Nobody knows, nobody heard that one. Um, talk to people, like my family, friends. Is that a 3D conversation? You pick one. Mm -hmm. You pick one person. Okay. Who is it? Um, my brother. Okay. And you're good friends with your brother? Yes. And you can give me a fake name if you don't want to give me his real name. Um, Bob. Okay. So you sit down with Bob, and would you have a phone conversation, or would you be having coffee? What would you be doing? Uh, coffee. Okay. So you guys show up at a coffee shop, and you both order coffee, and you sit down, and he says, you know, you haven't talked to me much about how your blog is doing. What's going on? And what do you say? It's going pretty well. Well, you've been saying that for years. Give me some numbers here. Um, we hit like a million people yesterday. Really? No kidding. Really? Yeah. Can you see how your body has shifted? Because you love your brother. You respect your brother. And your brother loves you. And being able to say that validates the version of the reality that you're holding for yourself. Now, what's really interesting is that when you do this movie, and you can do this movie, you can do this movie in your mind, 
you know, every time you're working on your podcast, every time you're thinking about your podcast and you're not working on it. So, you know, you could run this mental movie, you know, a dozen times or 20 times a day. And then after a while, it's so in you that you don't even remember to do it. And that's perfect. But here's what happens when you're doing all that, that visualizing where you're hearing him ask you about the podcast and hearing you say, and him being like double checking or how he would respond. You know, how does your brother respond? You know what the answer is. You know how he responds. So you know how, if he's going to do what I did and, and like, really, really, that's amazing. That's fantastic. You rock or something, whatever he would say. Okay. And you hear him say it. What happens is your body shifts because all of a sudden it's like part of you has accepted it that you was resisting before. And there's a lot of reasons why this works. And we're going to talk about that in a second, but I want to take this a little further. When a person does a movie of the mind like this with their 3d conversation, the 3D conversation takes on a life of its own. So you've created the script, you know what you're gonna say, you know what Bob's gonna say, and you run this mental movie. And then one day when you're running the mental movie, Bob says something you did not script. And you come out of your, you know, your closed eyes time, and you're thinking, holy cow, he never said that before. And that's when you know that it's so real that you're already seeing what's gonna happen. Every time you feel resistance, every time you feel fear, every time you feel like, when am I, you know, I'm working so hard at this, you know, when I'm going to have my breakthrough, instead of doing that, you're going to go right into, you can have those thoughts, and that's the other thing, you know, what you resist persists. So you are noticing what you're resisting, so you can accept it. Because a lot of times we're in so much resistance, you know, we don't even notice, you know. So first of all, we accept what's in front of us by being conscious of it, and then, and here's my other version of the reality, and you allow yourself to have more than one version of the reality, and oh, by the way, quantum physicists and lots of scientific types know that there's more than one version of the reality, and they talk about it all the time, so rather than say, well, you're either, you're either, um, uh, wearing a coat or you're not, you can say, well, in one version of the reality, I am wearing a coat. And the other version, I don't need a cup because I'm in, in the sunshine. And what happens is you're telling the universe, yeah, there's more than one version of reality, and I'm accepting both of them. And oh, by the way, this other one makes me really happy. And that's the thing you focus on. Now, keep in mind that that's one of the things you said. I'd be really happy, and you would be really happy. But the other part is you have to let yourself be really happy here because if you don't, you're in resistance. So you have to look at what you're currently doing and say, hey, you know, I'm way ahead of the curve of a lot of people who say they want to have a blog and don't. Or they say they want to have a podcast and they don't. I got a podcast. I'm set up. I'm broadcasting. And oh, by the way, I got a thousand people who are listening to me or two thousand or whatever the number is. Mm -hmm. That's validating where you're at. And then you do another, you do that mental movie where you hear Bob and what he says back to you. And that's what anchors it in to this version of this reality. Because there are multiple versions. See, quantum physics tells us there are many versions of the reality. It is the observed reality that, be, that is the real one. So why not use that knowledge of what we know about science and go make an observed reality? Because it's a known fact that the people who observe an outcome actually produce the outcome. And there were all kinds of tests done, um, you know, like 30 years ago, 20 years ago. And one study that I cite in the book is about a group of Russian basketball players. And the Russians did a study where they did three versions of the same thing. The first version, the guys were asked to practice an extra half an hour at the foul line shooting hoops. The second version, they um, meditated or they imagined that they were standing at the foul line practicing for an extra half an hour. And they just used their mental visualization. And the third group, they just hung out for the 30 minutes. So the first group obviously improved their uh, scoring uh, by 25%. So they improved their edge at the foul line by 25%. The second group that imagined that they were doing it improved their game 
24%. And the last group, the control group, there was no change. So an imagined outcome is real to consciousness. And that's why once you know that science knows that, you know, there are many versions of reality, but it's the one you see that is real, then why not reverse it and say, okay, I'm going to see this as real. And one of the ways you make it real is you make sure you're having a conversation with somebody who's supposed to be there or who's likely to be there. So if a person wanted a beloved, then they would have a conversation with that imaginary person. Now, no matter what your gender is, you know what the gender is of the person you want. So in my case, if I want to be with a man, I see a man that I'm having a conversation with. That's the first thing. That's knowable. Then the second thing is I, um, I hear what he says to me and I hear what I say to him as if the outcome is already achieved. So if it was, if I wanted to be with somebody, I don't care if I get married, then I would see us together and we would be celebrating our anniversary. Our anniversary could be the anniversary of when we met, the anniversary of when we moved in together, the anniversary of our first date, doesn't matter. But you're celebrating an event and he's looking at me saying how much he loves me. I'm looking at him saying how much I love him and I'm telling him how happy I am, just like you're telling your brother, how happy are you? See? It's amazing. And did you apply this to your second book and your third book, or did that uh, change a different avenue? No. Well, I use those principles, but my other books are very um, spiritually based because it's kind of interesting. You know, I, I'm doing... One of the things I want to say about this whole method is it's really like a backdoor method because you don't know how it's going to come together. You don't know what door will open for you. You just know you're already there. So in my other... As an as a individual, I've always been very connected to the divine, plugged into God. And I've always wanted to help people find their way to plug into their own divine messages, their own guidance. And so I wrote a book about the meditation that I taught, and that's called um, Beyond the Flower of Life. But I wrote about all the things that the people who started it didn't write. So anybody who's interested in sacred geometry and have followed that, that guided meditation called the Rukhaba, I wrote the book, the follow-up book. And the follow-up book tells people how to grow in meditation, how to improve your chances of success in no matter what you do. And it teaches you how to connect with your divine self so that you could have 100% accuracy in being able to answer a question, being able to know what you need to know before you need to know it. And that is another very powerful tool that's in the second book. And then um, the third book, I was a little bit reluctant writing. And that book is about uh, energy fields that you want to clear out. And I was a little bit like I was kicking and screaming all the way on that one. And it was more like my guidance was telling me to write the book, not me wanting to write the book. Um, because this stuff is enough different from what everyday people know about and think about that I did not want to rock the boat. I did not want to appear as strange or different. I was already plenty strange and different. Um, but I, 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 you know, I, I joke around that <clears throat> I'll, tell, I'll sell it in two ways so your audience will really hear it. Everyone knows who Dolly Parton is, the country singer from America. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she used to say is, I don't want to be a hooker. I just want to look like one. And, you know, that's her, her claim to fame, that she wants to look a certain way because she liked the way they looked. And um, she, just didn't want to, she didn't want their MO, their, their operating, the way they live their life. And so even though I was acting uh, in this very interesting mode of reality where I was using these tools to manifest and understanding the reality in a different way than most people, I still dressed in a very corporate way. So if you looked at me, you wouldn't recognize me as a flower child or as a uh, you know, person who has a lot of tattoos or orange or red hair, things like that. I wanted to look normal and then come out with this wacky stuff so it was easier for people to believe. I felt that that was, again, how I wanted to be conveyed. 
And so, you know, when you ask that question, it's, it's a little bit uh, humorous to me because I laugh at myself that I, uh, I know that I'm really different, but I try to fit in. <laughs> Just like everybody else, right? And exploring the the avenue of other spiritual techniques, um, what did you learn? Um, I now teach people how to get into the Akashic Records. And that is a tool that's also very, very powerful, where you access the library of all that is. So the Akashic Records is a energetic field. And the, the layers of ex existence, the layers of the dimensions, are like Russian dolls. They're nested. So from a higher dimension, you can observe the lower dimensions. And it doesn't mean they're less than. It just means that that's the vibration. You know, it's like, which color is better, red, you know, or, or green? And the answer is they're the same. They just don't have the same vibration. So you look at the different layers of awareness and there is a layer called the 11th dimension where one can access the library of all that is. So it's a recording of everything that's ever happened. And it also carries the vibration of what is likely to happen in the future. Now, it's kind of a funny thing. You might think that the future is completely random, but it isn't. And there is a finite number of outcomes now, I tell people with every decision, it's probably five choices that you've looked at or five versions of that outcome. And so the records carry all of that. And the benefit to understanding that is that the one we put the most energy on is the one that remains as real. The others can be experiences that exist, but they don't have to be treated as real. So you begin to work with the ability to tap into that energy field. And once you begin to tap into it, you, you find your way. It's kind of like, you know, if I'm driving you somewhere and you've never, and you're blindfolded, you've never been there before. Um, let's say you're in America with me and you're driving from someplace in New York down to Orlando, Florida, where Disneyland is. Even if I keep you blindfolded for the whole car trip, you will know that you've gone to a warmer climate. You will know that it's more sunny there. And so then once we're there and I, I go, okay, take your blindfold off, surprise, and you're at this magical place, even though you don't know how you got there, you know a couple of things. You know that you went from a colder climate to a warmer climate. You know that... Um, you've probably headed south because it's a little, you know, awareness of, okay, it's warmer in the south. You notice there's palm trees, okay, palm trees don't grow in the north. And so you begin to understand that field or how to get there. And even if you don't know how you got there the first time, intention to go back there will bring you back there each time. And the more you do it, the clearer your path becomes. And then it's a matter, a simple protocol, really. Is this the same thing that happens with the Akashic Records? Well, when you go into the Akashic Records, you're actually, that's exactly what I was describing. You're going to follow the pathway in that we give you. You follow with me the protocol. And then you discover that you got good information. When I first encountered the information on the Akashic records to how to open the records. I didn't believe it. And I blew it off. That's too simple. That's not possible. And I completely blew it off. But one of the things that happened when you have a teacher is that the teacher is holding that mantle. And so it actually happens in the classroom where the energy field is such that even though you didn't think you could find your way in using the simple method, you do. And because you're in a classroom and you're hearing what everyone else is saying, you begin to realize, ah, oh, I did get, I did get it pretty good. And I start out in a method that doesn't use the mind, so you can't think your way through it. You know, if I say, well, you know, close your eyes and imagine, um, imagine 
uh, that you've, you're eating your favorite flavor of ice cream. And you can do that because you know what it tastes like. You've been there before. Maybe you have to go to the ice cream shop because they don't sell it in the grocery store. But you know the whole drill. You know the whole thing from the beginning to the end and how you're going to get that ice cream. But if I tell you to imagine something you've never tasted before, maybe seaweed or something that you've never eaten before, how will you know how to do that? And it is the mantle of the teacher that helps the student find their way. And once you find your way the first time and you have a little success, then you build confidence and you get a little more success. So opening into the Akashic Records is quite amazing. And it is an amazing tool for information. And, and to give you information you might not even be expecting. And that's part of the training that you learn to get out of your own way. Because if I um, say to you, well, you know, it's below freezing where you're at, you can go outside with your T-shirt on and you'll be fine. You're going to say, nah, it's not going to happen. You know, if I go out in my T-shirt, I'm going to be cold. But what if there were a way that you could stay warm because your T-shirt's made of a special fiber or we've been able to create an energy field around you to keep you warm? These are all things that are possible, but because you're used to solving the problem of the cold outside with a coat, that's what you're thinking. So part of it is the ability to show up and be in an environment with a instructor that holds the space for you so that you can get an outcome. And when you begin to see that your outcome is pretty darn close to what everybody else is getting, that even adds more fuel to your abilities because you get out of your own way. You start to allow instead of worrying, I'm not getting it right, you see. Um, outside of the Akashic Records, are there any other uh, tools or tricks that you provide to clients that come to you? I give the people who come to me a lot of tools. And um, one of my favorite tools to share with your audience is a very simple prayer. And it's called, um, before I do that, how much time do we have left? We have about, I'd say, 11 minutes. Okay. So let me tell you a couple of other tools first. One of them is what I call two firsts. And we've all heard of two firsts for like pizza. At least that's what they do in America. They sell, we'll sell you two pizzas for the price of one or a penny more or something crazy. So um, every time you notice that you're thinking a dark thought or a thought that's not going to get you what you want, you simply follow it with two positives. So if a person's in a job that they hate um, and they think, oh, I hate my job, then they, then they follow it with two positives, but they pay me well, and I like the vacations, vacation schedule or the vacation allowance. Those are two positives. So every time you catch, oh, my boss is a real bear. Yeah, but I get really good pay and great medical, whatever, whatever it is. So you find two positives of the same level. And what that does is disperses our resistance. And I relate it to noise-canceling headphones that capture a sound and then replicate it in reverse and matches it with the offending sound, like the lawnmower or jet engine, and in such a way that two are paired so that the wave collapses and doesn't exist. But the only way they do that is by knowing the first sound and inverting it. So when you know... When you notice, that's the first part, that you're saying a negative thought, and then you capture that as an idea, and you put two balancing ideas. You wouldn't say, I hate my job, but I love my spouse and my kids. That's not good enough because it's not a match, you see. You have to find the match. Something about the job that you really love. Actually, two things about the job that you really, really love. And that's how you antidote that energy of resistance because what you resist persists. So if you tell yourself, I hate my job, even if you're lucky enough to change jobs, you're going to get another job that you don't like. So you focus on the outcomes. Now, let me share with you my favorite way of, of turning around your, your energy right away. It's super easy. I'm asking for a day of heaven on earth for me 
and everyone I come in contact with. And what that does is claims the energy of heaven on earth. So that means things go well. Um, the first time this happened to me, I was getting off a plane. And I was coming back to my home city and I was flying every week. So the staff knew me. And the woman handling the bags at the edge of the plane said, oh, hi, Maureen. And she said, how are you doing? Now, because I was so focused and worried about my day, I actually said I'm having a day from the opposite of heaven. I used the, the word, I won't today, but I did use that word. And because I have to get on a plane, you know, two more in, this afternoon and go and fly to the East Coast. And she looked at me like in shock that I would say such a thing. And I started, I realized, oh my goodness, how did that come out of my mouth? And I quickly corrected it and said, but I'm having a day of heaven on earth because I'm flying with United. And she left and I left and I walked away. Well, I came home to an inch of water on my basement floor. And the water was still gushing. We couldn't figure out where it was coming from. We finally found that it was a pipe between the walls and there was a low spot where there was no wall and it was overflowing there. So we were turning, we turned the water off. I asked my neighbor to help me. He came over, watched the plumber. The plumber came when he said he would. Um, he only charged me like a, a couple hundred dollars, which was surprising because of what he had to do. He had to drill a hole in the wall. Um, I asked my higher self where he should drill and, and he did and was able to see it so he could fix it right away. The neighbor came over and brought fans to dry out between the walls. I mailed a bunch of postcards that were sitting on my desk ready to go. I made my bank deposit. On my way home from the bank, I thought to myself, you know, I could have caught my original flight because I had called the airlines and, and asked to fly at a later flight. And even the airlines were cooperating and saying they won't, they'll have to charge me, but they can put me on the later flight. So I'm on my way home. And I get in the house and the phone rings and it's a real person from the airline. And they say to me, your flight from Madison to Chicago is about an hour late. And all in fact, both of our feeder flights are an hour late. And if you're on the later flight, you will miss your connection to Atlanta or wherever I was going. I don't know. Is there any way you can get on the earlier flight that's now leaving an hour later? And I said, yes, my bags are packed. They're in the car. All I have to do is drive to the airport and I'm 15 minutes away. I'm sitting on the plane and I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, how did I do that? How did that all come together like that? That was like amazing. And I was reminded in that moment, you asked for a day of heaven on earth and you got one. So when you ask for a day of heaven on earth, it doesn't mean that nothing bad will happen. What it means is that no matter what happens, you're on a very easy solution, cooperative arrangement with the universe, and you will manifest cooperation with others and for yourself in such an easy, smooth way that it won't matter that I was an inch of water on the floor of my basement. In looking back, is there anything you would like to change or adjust? Well, that's a nice thought. Um, I think if I had to do it over, um, I think probably the most important thing that I would tell myself is kindness really matters. Sometimes when you're really focused, you tend not to make sure everyone's okay because you're focused on taking care of what you need to get done. And I think, I don't think I was a bad person, but I know there were a few times that I wasn't conscious of how my needs or my desires might impact somebody else. And I'll give you an example of, you know, maybe asking someone to give me a car ride and I'll only be 15 minutes and it turns out I'm a half an hour. And so I've held that person up an extra 15 minutes 
and, and, you know, to be mindful of that and say, you know, I'm so sorry, is, is it going to be okay? Or to come back out and say, can, can you wait another 15 minutes? You know, those kind of courtesies, little things that I could have been a little more conscientious. But I think overall that that life is so exciting that knowing that we can have more than one version of the reality and that that gives us tremendous freedom of choice. So whenever you look at what's going on around you, whether you're thinking about world affairs or whether you're thinking about your own personal affairs, you can have another outcome. No matter what the news is telling you, you can say, okay, well, that's one version of reality. I'm going to hold this idea that we're going to have peace on earth, that we're going to have this kind of an outcome and put that into the reality and, and just allow that to be real for a few seconds and you'll change the reality, all of us together. Yeah. Out of everything you've read, learned, experienced, is there one thing that uh, stands out in your mind and what would it be? It's the decision to tell everybody, ask for a day of heaven on earth for you and me and everyone we come in contact with. Maureen, I want to say thank you for coming on to the show and sharing what you got to share. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sansit Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.